Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This episode of Barca Talk is the first in a series of three that looks back at FC Barcelona's 2018-19 season. To hear the other two, support the show at Patreon for just $5 a month. We have a link in the show notes or go to patreon.com slash barsatalkpod. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash barsatalkpod, all one word. All right, let's start the show. This is Barca Talk. I'm Brian Henderson. FC Barcelona's 2018-19 campaign brought another La Liga trophy to the Camp Nou, made it to their second consecutive appearance in the Copa del Rey final, and left the Champions League in the semifinal. This is a special series that'll look at each of these competitions. We've assembled a panel of journalists to comment on the good, the bad, and everything in between from last year's campaign. Today, the Copa del Rey. There is still something really kind of romantic about the Copa del Rey, given the fact that it's right at the end of the season. Um, it, it tends to be between, obviously, massive teams. It kind of a hark back to, to a different time. That was Robbie Dunn. He's an Irish sports journalist who covers La Liga and writes for AS, among others. You'll be hearing more from him later. Between the pressure of the La Liga marathon every week looking to win points and the high-stakes nature of the Champions League going up against the best in Europe, the significance of the Copa del Rey has diminished since its foundation in 1903 as the Spanish championship. First, it was relegated to secondary status by La Liga when it started to crown the champions of Spain in 1929, and in the 50s, the European Cup began and gained prestige and money for the clubs in the competition. Now, the once great Spanish tournament has become the third most important trophy for the likes of Real Madrid and FC Barcelona. But for other clubs in Spain, like Athletic Bilbao, Valencia, Sevilla, Atletico Madrid, even Alaves back in 2017, it remains an important trophy to fight for while titles in La Liga and the Champions League are more elusive to them. So if you're FC Barcelona, with deep pockets, a deep bench, and a desire to win the treble every year, how do you handle it? I think the most important, the key thing to be successful in club football is to have a very clear brand of play, a style of play, a brand of football, a philosophy, whatever you want to call it, to have that really imprinted in your team. I think it's so important for a coach to be able to instill this uh, uh, idea of football um, amongst his players. And, and then, of course, you need the right players as well who are receptive enough to adjust to that system. That's Diego Lorraine. He's a TV presenter on Viva La Liga and a pundit on the Barca Live Match Center, and he does about 10 other jobs in football journalism, too. He is a self-identified Barca purist. And what he's talking about isn't particular to the Copa del Rey, of course. But the topic of brand or philosophy at Barcelona has been in the air for at least the last few years. In Ernesto Valverde's two seasons, it has heated up. So where are we now? 
As a Barca purist, I don't understand what I'm watching. I don't see a style of football, a brand of play that I identify with or that uh, made this club great in the past. And you're almost not really sure what you're going to get. Sometimes you'll see a Barca that will actually play the kind of football that you want to see from them uh, or, you know, kind of a, a, a copy image of it. Uh, sometimes you see a Barca that is completely counterattacking, even to the point where they'll give up possession. That just doesn't compute in my brain. I, I understand that when, you know, there's a lot of people that, that have told me, well, Diego, you know, uh, so many times during the Guardiola era, you saw Barca just dominate the ball and pass the ball back and forth and uh, between the lines and trying to look for that pass, but they just couldn't break up that wall and they need to come up with a, uh, uh, you know, a plan B, so to speak. And uh, I think there is some truth in that. And, and uh, if we look at Luis Enrique, for example, I think he kind of uh, implemented a, a plan B uh, for those times where the uh, possession-based football didn't work. But uh, I think Valverde, uh, what we're seeing from him is, uh, is, you know, to, to even start comparing that to, you know, Luis Enrique, or let alone to the Pep Guardiola era, then, then, you know, we're going very, very wrong. The format of the Copa del Rey offers big clubs an opportunity to experiment, to treat this tournament like a laboratory, especially in the early rounds. Next up, we'll start diving into the details of Valverde's brand of football and his experiments in the Copa del Rey. After the second, third, and fourth division teams have duked it out in the qualifying rounds of the Copa del Rey, whittling the field down from 83 teams to 32, FC Barcelona enter the competition. The round of 32 began the two-legged knockout style, all of the earlier rounds having been determined with a single match. Barca's first opponent was Cotro Leonesa from the Segunda B division, the same one that Barcelona B plays in, on the road in León. Barcelona won the first leg with one goal from Clement Longley in the 91st minute, holding Cultural scoreless, and they sealed it in the second leg at the Camp Nou in a 4-1 win, with goals from Munir and Malcolm, and two from Denis Suarez. And it just kind of felt like Valverde was maybe trying to experiment a little bit in the Copa del Rey, which I don't think was a bad thing, to be honest with you. That's Roy Nimmer. He runs Mundo Albiceleste, a website and Twitter account that covers the Argentinian national team. This early round gave the most minutes to B-team and squad players. Chumi and Juan Miranda came up from the B team for both legs, while Malcolm, Denny Suarez, and Munir got into the starting 11 as well, opportunities that they rarely saw in any other competition. So I'm all for giving the kids a chance because it's a grueling season. Uh, it's a, you know, talking about 38 match season in the league, and you know, who knows how many matches in the Champions League if you do make the final. Start a mixture of the kids, mixture of the senior players, see how they, you know, how they blend type of thing. I don't think it was, it was a bad idea, to be honest with you. Uh, Valverde gets a lot of stick from a lot of people, myself included, but that's not one where, you know, got that wrong. No, 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 at all. I thought he did a formidable job, at least in, in the Copa del Rey, uh, at least in the early stages. The round of 16 against Levante wasn't much different, though it was a big step up from a third-tier team in Cotral to a rival that ended La Liga in 15th place in Levante. The squad had changed with the loans and transfers of Munir and Denny Suarez. The starting 11 had more marquee players, with Coutinho joining the front line, he scored the only goal in the first leg on a penalty kick. This was also the debut of Jason Murillo at center back, on loan from Valencia. It was the first of only a few appearances for him. The first leg was a disappointment, losing 2-1 to Levante. The one who suffered most from it, though, was Juan Miranda. 
The young left back was presumed to be a suitable backup for Jordi Alba on occasion at the beginning of the season, but after this loss, he was not to be seen in any more first-team matches for the remainder of the season. Here's Robbie Dunn again. So when you look at that game against Levante, that lineup never played with each other before. Um, Miranda, Murillo, Chumi and Semedo at the back, they had never played with each other before in a competitive game. And then Busquets, Alenia, Vidal, there is some experience there, but they're almost thrown in just to kind of keep this, uh, and I don't mean facade as in there's anything fake about it, but just to keep up that little bit of experience just in case things get tough. So it's not a brand new 11 that you're trotting out. But these players have never played with each other before. Malcolm Dembele and Coutinho up front. I mean, these guys... And then what happens is that there's so much pressure on on them at that point because they know the chances are so few and far between that they mess it up. They get inside their heads and then all of a sudden they don't know what to do. They freeze on the big stage. The second leg at the Camp Nou went better. Barcelona dispatching Levante 3-0 on two goals from Usman Dembele and one from Lionel Messi. And this was the pattern that emerged in this tie and continued through the semifinal. As Roy Nimmer put it, Maybe it's a matter of, you know, we've taken it for granted. You know, a matter of, oh, we'll make the final somehow, some way. It's fine. You know, that's a strategy for much of the global race, you know, the early stages in terms of let's give the a chance, see how it goes. And when it didn't work out, second leg, he went for the, the big names, the Messi, the Busquets, Suarez, and whatnot. The quarterfinal was just the same, if not worse, as the round of 16. Going up against Sevilla, the tie began with a 2-0 loss. The lineup was fairly strong, though the attack had no teeth, with Boateng, Malcolm, and Carlos Alenia serving as the front line. You know, you had Boateng starting along with Alenia. It, it, it kind of showed the lack of depth, at least up front in attack. If Suarez isn't there, and already Suarez didn't necessarily have the best of seasons at times. Uh, the fact that Suarez wasn't there and that Belly was injured, well, they kind of went with Boateng up front. And, you know, it, it kind of makes you think, well, uh, all right, you know, maybe if there was someone else, it could have been better. With Miranda in the doghouse, this was also Valverde's first attempt to rest Jordi Alba by putting Nelson Semedo, a right-back, in the left-back position. And staying true to form, Barca came back in the second leg, this time with Messi, Coutinho, and Suarez forming the attack, to knock out Sevilla in a 6-1 win at the Camp Nou. When the semifinal draw pitted Barcelona against Real Madrid, excitement for the tournament grew, though the competition between the two Spanish giants was not as tense as it has been in the past. Here's Diego. The relationship between uh, at least the players are, is not as tense anymore, uh, although I'm not going to lie to you, Brian, I was kind of one of those uh, <laughs> fans uh, watching those games with a lot of excitement because I like that. I like rivalries to be fierce, to, 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 for the competition to stay ripe and healthy, and of course, never to get out of hand and, and aggressive or not too aggressive anyway. Uh, you know, I don't want to see anybody get injured or people get their eyes poked out. Uh, rest in peace, Tito Villanova. But um, I do like it when they're. When the relations are not good, I mean, I, I, you know, when when I see all the the clapping, the hugging before and after the match, and the sweet talking, I'm thinking, guys, this is el clásico. The first leg was a one-one draw. The one goal for Barcelona coming from Malcolm. Despite the presence of Luis Suarez on the pitch, his ability to score goals seemed to be held back by the absence of Messi and a lack of chemistry with Malcolm or Coutinho. Messi returned to the starting eleven for the second leg, and Suarez scored two goals. A third came on an own goal by Rafael Varane. 
Real Madrid were held scoreless, and Barcelona moved on to the final on a 4-1 aggregate score. Everything was looking up. You thought that this is their season. They're going to go and win it all, aren't they? Beating Real Madrid at home, you really felt like this was going to be their year. The semi-final was in February, when the league was still up for grabs and Barca were in the round of 16 in the Champions League. By the time the final rolled around in late May, Barcelona had already won La Liga, and the agony of getting knocked out of the Champions League by Liverpool was still a fresh wound. There is a correlation and, uh, there between that Valencia loss in the Copa del Rey and that Champions League. They just absolutely heads dropped after that Liverpool game. Suarez was out already, having gone in for knee surgery just after the Champions League loss, and Dembele had been injured earlier in the month as well. Apart from Messi, the lineup had no threatening forwards in the starting lineup. Valencia scored two goals in the first half, and while Valverde attempted a positive move at the beginning of the second half, putting in Malcolm, Barca could only manage one goal for the remainder of the game. Valencia won the cup, and Barcelona's season ended with one trophy, when just weeks earlier they appeared to be on track for a treble. But everything can change in the final weeks. The big issue in this tournament had to do with the secondary members of the squad. The boys from the B team, the guys who ride the bench more often than not, they all have a hope of getting more time on the pitch in La Liga, maybe Champions League, or at least to carry on in the Copa del Rey. The only players in the final who were also in the first match in the round of 32 were the goalkeeper Sillison and Samedo, and he was subbed off in the second half of the final. If Dembele had not been injured, maybe he would have been there. There was a lack of integration of these players into the overall squad, and they were replaced with ease at a moment's notice. That must affect how they play. A good chance for some of the younger players to get some playing minutes with the first team. Uh, not enough, in my opinion. There was not enough continuity shown for these players to really have uh, a serious impact. Uh, therefore, you know, the kind of haphazard like matches where Barca either lost or had unconvincing wins. Uh, and then for the home matches, I, I kept reiterating, I was like, let them play again. Let these guys play again. Let them prove themselves for crying out loud. We have suggested on Barca Talk that perhaps the Copa del Rey would better serve the team in the long run if these players were given more faith and more minutes in the Copa del Rey, even if it means exiting the competition earlier. I would be on board. I would fully, fully agree. Even if it means a first round elimination, honestly, so be it. If it means strictly La Masia players, I'm all for it, not a problem. But I would definitely use Copa del Rey as a you know, launching pad, so to speak, or at least a, a transitional board between the B team and the main team. Thanks to the members of our panel today, Robbie Dunn, Diego Lorraine, and Roy Nemmer. You can find them all on Twitter, and we have links to their Twitter accounts in the show notes. This has been a production of Barca Talk, written and produced by Brian Henderson with Gabriel Quiroga, music by Brian Henderson. Subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app and listen to new episodes every Monday of the season. If one episode a week isn't enough for you, support the show on Patreon and get two shows a week commercial-free. For just $5 a month, you'll get two regular episodes a week and access to all our special episodes, including the other two in this special series and our new Legends series. Visco Barca! Sports Social Podcast Network.